In Georgia Ag Review for the week ending July 26th, Bob Redding was one of the speakers at last week's Southern Peanut Growers Conference, as his topic was the farm bill. One thing he told farmers was not to worry about the nutrition title aspect of the bill right now. Randall Wiseman has the report. During last week's Southern Peanut Growers Conference held in Panama City Beach, Florida, one of the topics of conversation was, of course, the Farm Bill. Bob Redding, who represents the Southern Peanut Farmers Federation in Washington, D.C., said this has been a very difficult bill. But one thing he told farmers was not to struggle with this nutrition in, nutrition out business too much. That's going to be worked out amongst uh, House and Senate leaders uh, at a very high level. Our focus should be now on the minutia of Title I. We need to stick with that, communicate our position to our uh, strongest members on the conference committee and others uh, in the House and Senate. So that should be our focus. Redding said the long-term issue for Gores is the potential for insignificance. Even though our acreage stays high, production levels are great due to uh, state and federal research uh, expenditures and grower research expenditures, our numbers are decreasing. And uh, as far as volume of votes, we just don't have it in the number of congressional districts and in the number of states that we used to have. And this piece is uh, very frightening to us. So under our system, without volumes of voters, large blocks, organized blocks of voters, that leaves us in the political process really with the financial piece and political contributions. Cotton, rice, and peanut all struggle with this piece. It's hard to raise money for candidates. Uh, The sugar growers got it a long time ago, particularly sugar beet growers. They understand it. They have less numbers, a similar situation as peanut, and do a great job with it. But this is an area that we've got to do a better job post-2013 Farm Bill uh, to protect our future and our political position uh, with the Congress. He said the peanut industry will have to be better politicians to continue the run we've had with some really good farm bills over the years. Gary Black, Georgia's Commissioner of Agriculture, talks about the importance of agriculture in his state and what they're doing to keep youth ag programs going to support it in the future. When it comes to agriculture, Georgia Commissioner of Agriculture Gary Black hopes everyone in the state realizes just how important it is. Ag in Georgia is still our number one industry combined, $71 billion of economic impact, still about one in Eight of Georgians actually employed in the food or fiber business, so it's really important. And he knows there is a good future in agriculture. I'm kind of fortunate. I've got two recent graduates with their master's degree, both in agriculture, and both have, have returned to the industry. It's a very compelling reasons to be involved in agriculture because there's, it's somewhat of a calling, but uh, you know also the great demand out there, but also the opportunity. And thus, Black said they have efforts underway to keep agriculture in front of young people in the state. We think in Georgia there's a bright future. We're trying to, at our department, work hand-in-hand with the Department of Education and promoting FFA and working with the University of Georgia, our land-grant university with the advancement of 4-H. Uh, really trying to tell that story of the future of agriculture is so important. So uh, I think our brighter days are Two new seats are going to be filled for the Georgia Cotton Commission as Richie Seaton has the details about the nomination process, which is now underway. The Georgia Cotton Commission wants growers across the state to know they are accepting nominations for two new seats on the commission. Their executive director, Richie Seaton, explains. Based on discussion of the ex officio and members of our commissions, 
we decided that due to the widespread production of cotton in our state that we would like to increase our producer membership from five to seven producer members. This was accomplished by amending our Commodities Promotion Act with House Bill number 298 in the recent session of the Georgia General Assembly. Seaton said the Georgia Department of Agriculture will be handling those nominations. Any cotton producer can nominate themselves or another producer by going to their local FSA office and requesting a nomination form, completing it, and forwarding it to the Georgia Department of Agriculture. They can also call the Georgia Farm Bureau Commodities Department and receive a form. And for their convenience, we do have it posted on our commission website. That website is georgiacottoncommission.org. Executive Vice President of the Georgia Beef Board, Josh Wright, wants to remind beef producers who have yet to look through the beef quality audit to do so as there is a lot of great information available in it. The National Beef Quality Audit is conducted every five years to evaluate beef industry efforts to improve beef quality. And if you haven't seen the audit, which came out last year, Josh White with the Georgia Beef Board hopes you will take time to look through it. That was a huge industry-wide initiative, kind of a checkup to see where we were with our beef quality assurance program and with beef quality in general, and it gave us some good benchmarks for where we are and some ideas of where we can uh, improve to move the industry forward. To learn more about the beef quality audit, just go to beefboard.org. Southeast Regional Communications Manager for the Cotton Board, Monty Bain, wants growers to learn more about flavor-infused cottonseed oils. Educating consumers about agricultural products is a big focus for the Cotton Board, but then again, letting growers know about the products being developed for consumers is also important. Monty Bain, Southeast Regional Communications Manager for the Cotton Board, said the Cotton Research and Promotion Program has had great success in adding more value for growers. And one of those products is flavor-infused cottonseed oils. In the last year, Tom Wiedegardner with Cotton Incorporated has done a wonderful job promoting the flavored cottonseed oil, and there's, there's bigger things to come. Bain said cottonseed oil is America's original vegetable oil. People don't know that Crisco is an acronym for crystallized cottonseed oil. He said the flavor-infused cottonseed oils they have for both consumers and producers to sample at various events are from Acala Farms. And it's used more for sautéing and, and flavor uh, rather than just frying in it like a frying oil. And all the folks that have tried it loved it. It's zero trans fat per serving, zero cholesterol, and a great source of vitamin E. And if you were to scan items throughout your local grocery store, Bain said you might be surprised how many of them use cottonseed oil. The oil is used anything from chips to also the, the lint and the cellulose to hot dogs to ice cream. You'd be amazed at cotton byproducts that you could find in a grocery store if you just read the labels. Grower dollars being used for research efforts through Cotton Incorporated have helped expand the various uses of cottonseed oil, and Bain said that will continue as they want to make cotton and cotton byproducts more valuable. Everett Greiner tells us how another invasive species is threatening poor water quality. Zebra mussels. I just read a long article about zebra mussels. You never heard of them? Well, you will. It's another invasive creature imported from another part of the world. It's damaging our fresh water system. Our rivers, our lakes, our reservoirs are already troubled by these creatures. So far, agriculture has not been directly affected, but it's only a matter of time. Environmentalists are already concerned that we will eventually face shortages of water to grow our crops. States, 
Even neighboring countries fight legal battles over water right now. Water is not only critical to our food supply, it supplies our electricity, our recreation, municipal uses. Now, a new threat in the form of a foreign invader, the zebra mussel from Asia. Quantity is already a problem. Will quality be next? Here is Sabrina Hill letting us know that the newest device to detect earthquakes may not be a new high-tech device. Well, it seems the newest device to detect earthquakes may not be a high-tech device, but ants. That's right. It seems that ants, with the world's worst taste in real estate, seem to sense earthquakes before they strike. Active faults, fractures where the earth violently ruptures in earthquakes, are the preferred housing site for red wood ants in Germany. And for three years, researchers have tracked the ants 24-7 with video cameras using special software to catalog behavioral changes. There were 10 earthquakes between magnitude 2.0 and 3.2 during the study period of 2009 to 2012, with many smaller tremblers. The ants only changed behavior for quakes larger than magnitude 2.0, which also happens to be the smallest quakes that humans can feel. During the day, ants busily went about their daily activity, and at night, the colony rested inside the mound. But before an earthquake, the ants were awake throughout the night, outside their mound, vulnerable to predators, with normal ant behavior not resuming until a day after the earthquake. Remember, you can find these stories along with all the big Southeast Agriculture reports on our website at southeastagnet.com. I'm Daniel Lee with Southeast Agnet's podcast.